Hi, I'm Naram, and I've watched over 11,000 hours of... Okay, Naram, we get it. You're a watching machine. Oh, hey, Nano. Well, you have a lot of catching up to do. I know, and that's why I'm here, binge-watching with you all the way from Toronto. Welcome to Watching Machine. back to another episode of Watching Machine. Today, we're going to relive our teenage years with Mindy Kaling's amazing show, Never Have I Ever. This show is about a teen Indian American girl who wants to live her best life in school, but struggles to reconcile her American and Indian identities. This is something I think most third culture kids, regardless of your ethnicity and nationality combination, have struggled with and continue to struggle with well into adulthood. Nano, how relatable did you find this show? Hey, Naram. I found the show and specifically all of Davy's issues very relatable. Having the identity crisis and wondering, you know, where do you fit in between the culture of your family versus this new culture you're now immersed in? I think it's something that we've all felt as third culture kids ourselves. So I definitely found this show relatable, especially because... I did go to school in Australia, and so a lot of what Devi went through, especially with her not being allowed to do certain things, you know, um, always being having meals at home, and they have to be your ethnic meals, and just trying to belong. I definitely wasn't as bold as Devi because she like really pushes boundaries, and I think that's also the kind of thing that Mindy Kaling just writes in all her characters. Like, it's like this, like, Indian-American girl that just wants to, like, go all out and, like, experience life. And that definitely wasn't me. But it was still, you know, something I struggled with. Like, the stuff that you want to wear, you know, the parties that you want to go to that you weren't allowed to go to. Like, I remember I wasn't allowed to go to just any friend's house. It was only particular friends that I was allowed to go to because my parents like approved (laughs) of their value system and whatever it was really bizarre and parties I went to I think I went to one party (laughs) while I was in school like that's it it was a Halloween party and even then it was just I felt so out of place because it just you're you're like kind of struggling trying to keep within the Arab Muslim thing and then at the same time you want to be like all your other white Aussie friends honestly like that's how it felt and it was always a struggle and my closest friends were actually also third culture kids so one was Pakistani Australian the other one was Indian Australian and we had enough commonalities that like that we all kind of struggled with the same thing that we kind of like that brought us together at least that's how I see it but yeah like this show for me like I know I'm, I'm not Indian, but I feel seen with Never Have I Ever. Yes. And I feel like you probably had a closer experience to what Davy went through than I did. Because, again, you're an Arab kid immersed in a Western society. For me, Arab within an Arab society, just a different Arab, being Lebanese myself, born and raised in the UAE, there were still, you know, some feelings of 
like identity crisis or what my family thinks is okay versus the environment that I was in and what the environment thought was okay. But for me, again, as a kid already in an Arab society, I don't think it was as hard. However, the big conflict for me was when I started to just get exposed more to Western society through maybe things I was reading or shows and then more and more the expats that were coming into the UAE and, you know, maybe in my later teens and even university, I was still struggling with some of the things that you just mentioned because, you know, being Arab, the conservative, you know, uh, we need to protect you and take care of you from the family. That doesn't end just because you turned 18 or you graduated high school. So even into university, there were still these restrictions and these struggles around how I want to dress versus what my family wants me to wear or the kind of outings I want to, you know, go out on and what they would let me and not let me do. Absolutely. And I think, you know, as a third culture kid, like those experiences and those feelings never leave you, even if you're an adult. But just touching on the 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 dress, the dressing up bit. There's this one scene where Devi is filming a TikTok dance with her friends in the first season. And they were all wearing the, you know, the, um, like the thin strap red dresses. And then she gets pulled aside by her mom, basically like, what are you wearing? And she makes her put that white t-shirt. Oh my God. That was just a real... That was such a real moment because like, yeah, like you have to wear a t-shirt. Like how can you expose your shoulders? Your shoulders? And like, what is that? Yeah. And oh, that was just, that was, I thought that scene was so spot on. It just felt so relatable just, you know, in terms of, of, of getting dressed. But let's talk about the identity crisis because I, I think ultimately that's, kind of what this show is about in in a way it's it's about Debbie like trying to figure out who she is but I already kind of foresee how that will turn out for Debbie because I've gone through it and so have you and there there comes a point in time where you do have like that it's either an identity crisis or identity conflict maybe not a crisis it could be a conflict where you know, you're really trying hard to make it all fit together. And the thing is, you know, even if like I'm Arab Australian and I have a lot of other Arab Australian friends, right? Like we all kind of grew up together in very similar environments. However, each one of us is actually quite different about how we are as Arab Australians. You know, it's it's not an exact mold. So even as a third culture kid, it's not like this uniform experience or uniform culture where it's like, oh, you're like Arab Australian and you're Arab Australian, you're Arab Australian. You know, even if you're, you know, like if you're all Lebanese Australian or Palestinian Australian or whatever, right? Even amongst those subgroups, it's different. Like you're not going to necessarily be able to get on with the same type of background combination because the way that they've pieced it together and they've reconciled their identity amongst those two cultures is going to be different than yours. And we see that with Devi when she goes to a particular celebration with her culture, the Ganesh 
puja celebrations. Harish! Hey! Hey! I was hoping I'd see someone cool here. Do you know if anyone like that is coming? Ouch, burn. So, why are you at this lame fest? Shouldn't you be at Stanford, like, playing frisbee with the computer? I actually really wanted to come. To Ganesh Puja at a public high school in the valley? Are you insane? Tell me the truth. Did they send you home on medical leave? Are you suicidal from Accutane? No. Look, I know I used to clown on this every year, but the truth is, I kind of miss Puja. Are you kidding? When I get into Princeton, I'm never coming back. I'm going to be an atheist who eats cheeseburgers every day with my white boyfriend. <laughs> I thought it'd be that way, too. But it was different when I went to college. My roommate, Nick, is Native American. And he's so into being Native American. At first, I was like, you're away from your parents. You don't have to pretend to care about your ancestry or whatever. But then he took me to their campus powwow. No one was standing in the corner making fun of it. They were dancing and chanting and having a great time. And it made me think, why do I think it's so weird and embarrassing to be Indian? Where do I start? How about every single thing my mom has ever said and done? I just thought, am I going to be this insecure Indian guy who hates doing Indian things? Because that's his own identity. It's just a shitty one. Well, that's definitely not my identity. I love being Indian. Real convincing, Davey. I look more comfortable being Indian. She questions how much like she identifies with the Indian culture in that way, just because that her way of reconciling, you know, maybe it was a 70-30 split, right? 30% Indian culture, 70% American culture. Whereas the others are probably flipped. They're like 60-40 or 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 even 30-70, where the 60% or the you know, the 70% is the Indian culture and only like 30 to 40% is the American culture. And even then it's like, you kind of take bits and pieces and kind of piece it together in your own like unique thing that makes sense for you. And you just kind of see her kind of go through that and just like feeling out of place. And again, like when I saw that, I was like, that is, that is exactly how I feel like to this day at Arab events. Like I feel so out of place. I have no idea what to say, the right thing to say to the aunties, the like, you know, the, the, the phrases, you know, like that the, the girls say, like the right thing. And I don't know any of them. I don't know how to talk like that. I don't know how to act, you know, just like he's like sitting there. Like, I feel like an awkward teenager, honestly. Does that happen to you? I, I found that the show portraying this, like when you talk about feeling seen by a show, portraying those moments where, you know, just because we're all Asian American or just because we're all Arab American or in your case, Arab Australian, that doesn't mean that we've now formed this other subgroup that we actually belong to. Because like you were saying, there were, you know, there's a different set of what I decided to take from my culture versus the new culture that works for me, but not necessarily for someone else. So I think we see that, like you said, in that event. Um, but we see that also in the latest season when Davy meets the new character, another Asian American girl, Anissa, and also realizes that just because they're both Asian American doesn't mean that they're the same. In fact, she feels they're very different. Um, and, you know, Anissa comes across as the girl who honors the traditions. And I think we see Davy's mom's very, you know, inclined to try to get Davy to act more like Anissa. But that's, again, because Anissa is probably someone who knows how to play the game or, you know, is portraying herself in a way that she knows would work in her culture. 
But she's also able to flip and be very integrated in the Western culture when she's at school. Yeah, Kamala does that too. When she is dating a non-Indian guy in secret and she pretends to be like this, you know, traditional goody two-shoes, but she's not. She's like sneaking around and doing things that she's not meant to do. And she's just like living it up. She doesn't care. But yeah, she she maintains that front end. And we see that a lot in in our culture too. Like a lot of people actually do that, right? Like when you're in a foreign country, you know, as opposed to an Arab country, you know, as a third culture kid, when you're in a foreign country, there's the contrasts are a lot more obvious, you know, just because the cultures are so different, right? But I'm keen to know from you what that experience was like, like as a Levantine Arab living in a Khaliji country and, you know, like being that third culture kid, because I feel like it's a lot more subtle in a way, but there's definitely a difference because if I see like, let's say a Lebanese person that's living in the UAE, you know, and a Lebanese person living in Lebanon, two completely different cultures. And sometimes, you know, the people who are living in the Gulf countries, they can't go back to their home countries. And I've seen that as well, like, you know, with with our Indian friends who live in the UAE, you know, or our Pakistani friends who live in the UAE, And for them to go back to like India or Pakistan is just basically impossible because they're third culture kids in their own right. So I'm I'm keen to know from you, like what that actual experience is, because you actually went back to Lebanon to live for a while. I did, yeah. So I, you know, was not as aware of how different I am as a Lebanese person than a Lebanese person who lives in Lebanon until I went to live there. So, you know, growing up in the UAE, we would visit some summers, we'd visit Lebanon. And, you know, when you're somewhere on holiday, you're just, you're a tourist and you're embracing being a tourist and, you know, just meeting different relatives. And I was aware that maybe my Lebanese, spoken Lebanese was not as Lebanese as them because, you know, the UAE is very diverse. And I grew up with not only other Arabs, but, you know, people from different um, countries, different nationalities who spoke different languages so first of all, the big difference was that I didn't speak Lebanese the way that a Lebanese person in Lebanon does. That was the key difference. And I remember growing up, like relatives would point out, like if I say a word and they're like, uh, that's not how we say this. But then it became even more visible and obvious to me when I went to live in Lebanon in university, um, you know, early university days. Again, I realized that certain things I would say, expressions that I used, things I did, did not, you know, resonate with people there. Or, you know, at one point I I remember I was made made fun of because it's like, uh, that's the the way a Palestinian would say that word. Or actually, what is this, a Khaliji word? Like, we don't have this word in Lebanese. So it was a lot of like picking on how I spoke. And then beyond that, I found myself a lot more open to different things as opposed to some of the people that I met in Lebanon, just an openness to different cuisines, different cultures. Um, You know, I found myself just not always able to find my people as easily in Lebanon. Um, I felt a little bit out of place, you know, and I 
when I think to the show specifically, like that dread that Davy has around the potential, you know, uh, the scenario of them moving back and relocating to India forever, I can feel her, like her fright and her terror about this because I experienced it. I tried to live in Lebanon for a year or so, and I just felt like, okay, I can't find the place where I belong here. I can't find my people here. I felt very different, even though, again, in essence, it shouldn't be so different. I shouldn't be so different because like, I'm Lebanese. Both my parents are Lebanese, and I was in another Arab country. But again, the key thing is that, yes, I was in an Arab country, but again, luckily the UAE and how it is and you know how Dubai is, it's very diverse. So I was already being exposed to all these different cultures you know, speaking a different language even more fluently than Arabic at that point. So I was already starting to feel very displaced from, you know, even the culture that I was raised with at home, which was still more protected to some extent. So by the time I went to university, there was who I was versus who my parents thought I was and then versus who a Lebanese person would think I am just because I am Lebanese. And that was definitely an identity conflict period where it's like, okay, now I really need to assess, you know, I'm being told I'm not Lebanese enough here back in the UAE. Like I am Lebanese, but apparently that's not (laughs) as Lebanese as the people in Lebanon. And when you add on top of this, the the question of, okay, but where is home? You know, I'm not an Emirati, but I'm I'm Lebanese by passport, but also this doesn't feel like home. So that's not necessarily a struggle that Davy had, but it was definitely something I felt on top of everything else that she experienced. Um, and so, yeah, I think about that time when her mom was, you know, putting forward the idea of them moving back to India and how horrified she was. The lack of discipline and respect here is astounding to me. When you return to India, this behavior will be put to bed. We're going to India? Can't we vacation in Aspen like Ben's family? It's the playground of the rich and famous. <laughs> You're not just going on vacation to India, young lady. Mom, what is he talking about? Sweetheart, your uncle and I have been talking for the past month or so about how hard it's been for us here, especially with family being so far away. Oh my God, you want us to move to India? I... I think it would be better for us. I need to go to my room. Baby. Arvind. Baby, listen to me. No, I don't Look, want I to. I know it'll be a big change, but I think we need it. Look, I feel like a stranger here, and I don't have a support system. And, and frankly, without your father around, I just, I just feel like I'm really struggling to raise you. Um, I really felt for her. And at that point, you know, again, it's unknown what's going to happen. Uh, I just felt really, really bad that she you know, might have, might have to be uprooted and would really find herself in an environment where she does not belong. Yeah, I mean, you bring up so many good points. First off, language, I totally relate to that, by the way. So here's the thing about being an Arab and moving to a Western country. Your vocabulary and your dialect accent freeze at the point in time that you move. So we moved to Australia in the 90s. So everything I know about colloquial Arabic is the 90s. It's frozen. 
So when I talk now in Arabic, I sound kind of outdated, even 20 years on, like we've been, we've been back in the Gulf for about 20 odd years. And one of the reasons why I don't speak Arabic as often is because I'm embarrassed. Like I can speak Arabic. Like I am pretty fluent. I can form sentences. I can have a conversation. But the person in front of me who's been living in the Arab world for all this time is going to make fun of me. And I don't want to feel that. So I just don't talk in Arabic. So I can totally relate to what you were talking about moving back to Lebanon because it's the same with me moving into just the Arab world, back into the Arab world in general. Like it's just frozen. And the other thing that you mentioned, which I found also resonated with me is like, where is home? So, you know, we immigrated to Australia. I was very, very young. And then at some point we left, we moved back to the Middle East and specifically to the Gulf countries. Uh, We've never lived outside of the Gulf countries. And I've lived here long enough. You know, you get used to a certain lifestyle as well. The conveniences in the Gulf countries, there's a lot of things that you kind of get used to and you take for granted until you move away. And I know you probably will have a couple of things to say about that since you moved to Canada a few years ago. But now I'm thinking about, you know, like, I mean, eventually I'll probably need to put down some roots somewhere. You know, even though I visit Australia regularly, it's like, will I be able to move back permanently? Like, is that home? You know, or where is home? Because, you know, like you, doesn't matter what you do in the Gulf in the end, you're a guest, right? Your visa ends, goodbye, it's the end. And then where do you go from there? The the place that you used to call home, you haven't been living there as a resident for so long, right? It's, you know, and I guess especially in like my 30s now, you kind of get set about your ways. And I also now can kind of understand probably what my parents were thinking and, and probably had to go through when they had to make the first move, you know, to, to immigrate because they wanted to offer us a better life. But I think theirs obviously was much, much harder because it was like going to a completely foreign place that they had no idea what they were getting into. It's completely different. At least I have some idea. But I think also knowing what's in store, it's like, is this really the place? Or is, could somewhere else be home? And it that kind of leads into the whole kind of identity conflict or identity crisis is like, well, who am I then? You know, and, and where do I really belong? Do I, is it a geography? Is it a group of people? that you, you start calling home versus a, a place, right? That you ju- Is it better to just focus on being surrounded by a certain group of people that understand you and you understand them and that's home? Yeah, I wondered about all of this, like especially these last few years being out here in Canada. So now I've tried living in Lebanon for a little bit. I've obviously lived most of my life in the UAE and now Canada and it's like, You know, and I think these are the three, you know, the prime uh, candidates 
to be called home, but none of them feel like it at this moment in time. So I've definitely had the same thought as you, like maybe it's about the people. But again, the nature of us all being third culture kids is you're not the only one looking for home. I'm not the only one. Meanwhile, all our friends are on the same journey. And that means that we're all transient where we are. We're moving around. So the same group of people is not always going to be in the same place anyway. So the quest for home continues because we're all on this journey and not in the same place. Would have been so much fun if we all made a pact early on that we would all go and explore together. Um, But that's not possible. So here we are. Um, And, you know, as you said, what you said about our parents and making that decision to immigrate, I actually started thinking about, you know, our parents in the con- in the context of being third culture kids is hard on us, but to some extent it's hard on them to be the parents of third culture kids, right? Especially those parents who are very tuned into, again, what their expectations are of you. So while we're here trying to determine where's home, who are we, you know, what culture do we fit into, where do we belong, they still have these expectations that we belong to where they belonged. And the culture that we fit into is their culture, which is our home country. Even with the, with the, the locals, right? The, you know, the Arabs that live in their native countries struggle with their parents. And I think it's, I think the culture as a whole is being thrown into question. I don't know what it's like for other ethnicities as far as that's concerned, but there is, I think, also that overall generational struggle. I think it's just much harder, honestly, in the West. I feel like because in the Western countries, the parents are just like holding on really, really tight, it is suffocating for kids. And I see like, you know, Debbie, even Kamala, She's an adult and she goes through the same thing, right? Because she's being supervised by Debbie's mom as well, you know? Even though she's, like, actually cool about a lot of things because Kamala's an adult. But as a kid, you actually, you feel, you feel suffocated by those impositions, you know? You feel you're being isolated in some way, right? Because you're not fully be able to fit in because you're not allowed to do a lot of the things that the other kids are allowed to do. And so you're left out of a lot of things. And so all you want to do as a kid is fit in, you know, you want to belong, you don't want to feel left out, you don't want to feel different, you know, you don't want to get bullied because you're different. And I don't think parents get that, like they just don't get it. Personality plays a role. You know, you have different personalities. Personality plays a big role. Like we see Davy's mom and Davy's dad, even early on, and they show us some of the flashbacks. He had more openness to adapting and adopting some of the new things or the way things are done in the U.S., whereas the mom was a little more reserved and, and scared. And it was the fact that he was there to push her that helped her assimilate even more. But this also could tell us that Davy's journey herself could have been very different if her father had still... If her dad was alive. Yeah. And in a way, I feel like when the parents, like, refuse to assimilate and refuse to let the kids assimilate, you're, like, forcing them to reject the only home they've known. 
you know? And again, it creates that, like, that isolation, you know? And, you know, a lot of them still kind of stay within their communities. And there's nothing wrong with connecting with, you know, your community and ethnicities and things like that. And look, a lot of my childhood friends are still close. They stay in touch. They, you know, they're still within that community. I'm not in that community, right? And it's not because we left, because a lot of people left and then they went back. And even when they left, they stayed in touch and they stayed connected. But, you know, I never felt part of that community to begin with. When I was there, I felt more connected to my friends in school versus the friends in the Arab community. That felt just very forced to me. And I never felt like I actually fit in with them. It's it's so funny how different we become because of this. Like when I during my time in Lebanon, that's the same thing. I ended up actually my core group became people who were outsiders in a way like me. So I found myself gravitating to, oh, there's a Portuguese friend. Oh, there's, you know, a Brazilian friend. You know, there's a, an American group. Like this became my group. And the odd also Lebanese coming from abroad as well with a similar experience to mine. You know, but the two things you went through, like I related to that as well when I was in Lebanon, which again, essentially supposed to be home for me, I ended up gravitating towards the other people who weren't really from there. And I also found myself, to your point earlier, not speaking Arabic as freely as I used to speak it in the UAE because I felt the same thing. I felt embarrassed because my Arabic is not on par with everybody else's Arabic. So ultimately, you know, I guess this speaks to how we adapt and how we do these things to kind of protect ourselves and ultimately find a way to be comfortable in new environments. So, Nano, now you are an adult who is still, I guess, a third culture kid at heart. I think that's something that'll never go away. But now that you've lived through it and you're well into adulthood, what would you say to your teen self growing up as a third culture kid? What advice would you give her? Hmm. No, I mean, always so full of great questions. <laughs> and be sure that I'm going to ask you this right back as soon as I answer. Um, I think my advice to my younger self would be not to panic about all these confusing feelings she's having, this anxiety and angst that comes with needing to figure out who you are, where do you belong, where do you fit in. And I would say don't panic for two reasons. One is not as comforting, but it's the fact that this question doesn't really just get answered. It's still a journey that I'm going, you know, I'm going through right now. And so I would want her to know that not only is this a journey that she will continue to go on for a while longer, but the second thing is, is that it's okay. It's okay not to have all this figured out. It's okay not to have an answer to this big question. The way I live my life now, I wish my younger self knew that it's okay to just be and not have to have everything defined and answered and, and, and not feel like right now, I don't feel the pressure of needing to know where home is anymore. I'm just living in the present and just being, and that feels okay. And I would love to let her know that because it would make her life a lot easier 
you know, thinking back to younger Nano, she spent a lot of time trying to answer these questions and maybe cried a lot of tears too. Um, but yeah, it gets better because you learn to live with it. So what, what is your advice for your younger self? Uh, I would tell her to, I would tell her to take more risks and to even get into trouble because I always played it safe and I was always very, I was always very cautious, you know, um, everything had to be just so, um, I didn't want to, you know, let my, my parents down. I didn't want to let people down. So, you know, always tried to kind of be that like goody two shoes, picture perfect type. Um, I think if there was any, if there's any time for you to like rebel and make mistakes, it is when you're young. I'm not saying commit a crime, but like, it's okay to like get into trouble. Like it's how you learn, you know, if you don't take risks, I think you're losing out. And, um, I would tell her to take risks and to it's okay to get into trouble. Um, it's not the end of the world. And I would tell her and to be completely confident in that. Because once you start letting those other opinions in and other voices in, they erode your own voice and your and what you really know to be true about yourself. And I truly believe everybody knows who they are when they're a teenager. Not when you're in your not when you're in your 30s or even mid 20s. I think your teen years, you know exactly who you are. I think the challenge is that you're trying to express it and you're trying to, you know, to portray it. And the portrayal doesn't always come out as right, but I think deep down Like, you know exactly who you are. And if you know that, like, you should hold on to that and just be completely sure of it. What do you expect from season three? Now that we've talked about maybe potentially a third love interest, <laughs> you know, just thinking about it, I'm like, you know what? It's Davy. I can see that happening for her because now she's in the middle of having to choose between Paxton and Dan. I wonder if they're going to go the direction of now she chooses neither and she chooses herself. <laughs> I don't want so her to we'll do see. that. Like, I definitely don't want her to do that. Yeah, I don't want her to do that because I feel like that's such a cliche now. Like, at first it was like, oh my God, revolutionary. But then it's such a cliche. I would love to see the mom meet someone. And... And how Devi comes to terms with that because her dad was such a huge part of her life and she like worships him. And so her mom kind of like moving on, seeing more of that and how Devi kind of comes to terms with her mom moving on. So she came from India to the US with Mohan. So she was already married and they came to establish their life there. And so... For her, then she was alone in this foreign country. It still feels foreign to her, and that's why she wants to move back to India. But now, if she ends up having a love interest, like this is a very unusual situation. A lot of the times, you either go back and maybe you remarry in your own country, or you just stay a widow for life. Like, it's just the thing that you accept for life. But she's so young, like it would be such a shame to, to be alone for the rest of your life. 
Um, so I think it would be really interesting to see something happen there in season three and it being kind of like the drama of Debbie's life and kind of, yeah, like just reconciling that and, and, and hopefully like accepting that her mom also has a life to live. Yeah, that would definitely be interesting. Yeah. And again, seeing a bit of that in the previous season, I think it would be exciting. And I do want that for her mom too. Like, yes, I definitely want her to loosen up. And that also means allowing herself to just move on with her life. Well, this has been super fun as always, Nano. Thank you. Thank you for having me. And uh, I've enjoyed this a lot. I think of all the shows we've discussed, we've had a lot to say about this one. So yeah, thanks a lot. Awesome. If you enjoyed Never Have I Ever, do check out Miss Marvel and We Are Lady Parts. If you enjoyed this episode, please don't forget to subscribe and share with your friends. Until next time, keep watching.